You were instrumental in adapting working with the FBI into the business world, um, especially realizing that his negotiation tactics are literally if he doesn't get what he wants out of the negotiation, somebody dies. And so you created the short game. Tell us what that is and how it applies to negotiating in the business world. The short game is designed to keep us mentally ready to influence at every opportunity, okay. right? No conversation is just a touch base. This is a conversation to influence. We want to be very finite and that puts them in the driver's seat. They feel in control because they're dictating but you've allocated all of that. You made the road and then they just chose which one they wanted to drive on, but you were the one constructing the outcome. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week and will be labeled as HP number 12345678910 and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend, Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more about that private community and masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. And now let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. 
How does the FBI, CIA, and special ops teams negotiate with kidnappers, international terrorists, and the most dangerous people on the planet? Are there secret strategies to negotiate that give you a superpower for getting anything you want? What if you just learned a few key tips on negotiating to save a couple thousand dollars on the price of your next car? Well, the truth is there are a lot of tips and strategies we can use to learn to be better negotiators. They're easy to learn and it doesn't take months of training to pick it up. In fact, everything in life is negotiation. You negotiate with people you live with, you, your family, your friends, your strangers, and you even negotiate with yourself on a daily basis. Quite often, they are simple things like what, you're, what are you going to eat for dinner, but other times they're more important things like what school to send your kids to, how to close a real estate deal, and so forth. Good negotiation is really about good communication and learning the back and forth of communication well. It's not about manipulation, but about empathetic communication and understanding others' points of view. Today, we have one of the top authorities on negotiation on our podcast, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. His name is Brandon Voss, and he's the president of the Black Swan Group. The Black Swan Group is a strategic business advisory firm that focuses on business negotiation. Their negotiation structure stems from Brandon's father, Chris Voss, who was the FBI's lead international kidnapping negotiator for 20 years. They use hostage negotiation skills to solve business negotiation problems, and it works like a charm. It is a process that recalibrates communication efforts in order to close better deals and create long-lasting relationships. Brandon is Black Swan's thought leader with respect to three main negotiator types, the analyst, the assertive, and the accommodator. Knowing these three types can change your results massively when closing deals. It gives you an edge over others when sitting at the negotiation table. Throughout the show, we're going to discuss Brandon's strategies, how to use them to make more money, find out how to mitigate conflict with confidence, become a better communicator, and create better relationships in our lives. And last but certainly not least, we'll talk about the little-known black swan effect that is essential to understand when negotiating any deal in your life. Brandon, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Chris, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. You make, you make me sound really important, man. I got I to do your show more often. <laughs> when, it, anytime somebody else introduces us that's a decent speaker, right? It always sounds like even when somebody introduces me and, and they do a good job at it, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of more impressive than I thought I was. <laughs> but uh, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad to have you. Um, Thanks for having me on, man. Thank yeah. you. And so I want to dive into the podcast with a little shocker here. So get some shock story for the listeners um, and ask you to describe what was the most intense business negotiation experience of your life? Yeah, I hate to say it, but there are many, but I'll pick one in particular. And this is actually has to do with a contract we were negotiating with a government entity and I, and that will go unnamed and our partner will also go unnamed just for sake of, of saving face as it were. Well, we had, when we were teaching at Georgetown, Chris and I ran a class in the uh, master's program and done a school of business at Georgetown for a few years. And one of our students went to go work for this government entity and was like, look, I took their class when I was in college, getting my master's, we got to bring these guys in. So we actually went in, did a half day with them as a favor. They loved it so much. They wanted to bring us in for two full days and then fly in government uh, employees from all over the country for the training. The problem is because they're a government entity, they have to work with a registered government agent, which we were not. Okay. So they put us in contact with their favorite one that they did business with all the time. Like, ah, oh, you go through them, come in under their umbrella, everything will be fine. Now, 
There are two partners that run this TPI, right? This third-party intermediary. And one is an accommodator, right? Talking about negotiator types. One's an accommodator, one's an assertive. Okay. We get to meet the accommodator early. Very relational, very interactive woman. Came and actually saw us uh, preview some of our content. Loved it. Actually said to Chris in a separate conversation I was not a part of, but was aware of, we love what you guys do so much. We'd almost not take a cut at all. We'd almost do this for free. We usually take somewhere between 20 and 35%. We'd almost do it for free. Wow. We think things are great, right? We got the, we got our student that worked for the government, uh, the government agency. We got this, what seems to be a great relationship with this TPI. We get into the negotiation where it seems like it's just a matter of signing paperwork. Mm -hmm. We get on, it's Chris and I, and they're two partners. And Chris starts the negotiation by saying, Hey, we, we are grateful for this opportunity. We think this is great. Uh, we're looking forward to partnering with you on this endeavor. Mm -hmm. And the assertive partner on the other side literally says, you guys aren't partners. You're subcontractors. <laughs> and I, I will never forget the disgust uh -huh. in her voice. Uh -huh. And we came in thinking, well, uh, this girl who we refer to as Jamie that works for the government agency, she probably smoothed things over with them. And then the partner we spoke to probably smoothed things over with her partner. So everything's good. And we get hit by this freight train at the beginning. Uh -huh. And now we immediately go into arguing over what the split should be. Uh -huh. I mean, no information gathering, no black swans, no guided discovery. I mean, we are just, we need this much. Well, you guys are subcontractors and we need this much. And our perspective is, well, we brought the business to the table, right? You wouldn't even be getting paid if it wasn't for us because they actually right. want our training. Right. And so everybody's justified. It's what in strategic coach, they like to refer to as a right fight. Everyone wants to be right. Well, fortunately, we are working in a team. I'm in the coach's position, which is the number two spot. My job is to jump in with labels, mirrors, and accusations audits when necessary. Mm -hmm. After this buildup of intensity, I jump in with an accusations audit. And basically what I'm trying to lay out is, look, the last thing we want to do is step on anybody's toes. We know we're coming at a right field. You don't know who the heck we are, no, nor do you really care. Mm -hmm. Basically just saying, look, this is your barbecue and it tastes good, right? <laughs> yeah, like just right. trying trying to really emulate that in the conversation. Uh -huh. And sure enough, that was the key moment that turned everything around. Uh, smooth sailing from then on. We got the split we wanted. They got the split they wanted. And the, the training ended up being great for this government agency. So it worked out well in the end. But boy, just being straight insulted, like, who do you think you are? Oh, wow. Right right from the very beginning. It was an interesting dilemma. What, uh, how long did that process take, that whole negotiation there at the table? Oh, we were probably, this was by phone. So we weren't actually in person for this okay. one. And we were, okay. we were probably on a phone maybe 45 minutes. You know, it still, it wasn't like an extended interaction. It was still pretty quick. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the emotions that come up for you when you got hit with that comment uh, for you and for Chris and how you guys manage those emotions? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. And, and, and I would preface it by saying no matter how good you are, or how many skills you study, mm -hmm. the most difficult part of negotiation is controlling yourself when you get triggered. Right. That's everybody's biggest struggle. Right. And so... Our immediate reaction, I think, for both of us was surprise, 
because we expected all of these conversations to be happening in the background that never actually took place. Mm -hmm. And uh, so definitely, definitely surprised. And then I know for me, I was, I think I was probably a little like almost hurt. Like they want our stuff and you guys Mm -hmm. should be happy we're here because we can, we might be able to turn this into a 10 year relationship where we're serving government agencies. Right. And that almost feels like it goes right out the window with that initial statement. I think for Chris, you know, definitely surprise and then probably defensiveness, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't remember exactly what he said, but the tonality of it. Right. We all human beings remember the most emotional moments and how things ended. Right. And so emotionally, what he came across with was like, how dare you treat us this way? Mm-hmm. Right. Those weren't his words, but it was very much came across in his demeanor, right. which in our mind is justified. However, tactical empathy ain't about what's in our mind, right? And so we, we we definitely got off on the wrong foot. You know, we we screwed that up. You know, we didn't prepare as well as we should have because uh-huh. we thought that these conversations were in the background. Like, oh, we just, we get on the phone. We figure out what email we got to send this paperwork to. They give it back and everything is golden. And that that is clearly not what happened. And so uh, I think probably what followed that is... You know, definitely surprised, disgust. How dare you? Who do you think you are? And then it just, it deteriorated to a price interaction, which uh-huh. happens a lot to people, right? You immediately go into price because money's important. And the reality is the emotion on their side mm-hmm. had not been addressed by us. Mm. And when we managed to slip into the accusations audit, which I will tell you this day, we do training this negotiation is actually a case study that we use for an exercise with our people. Yeah. And it's always fun. Like this is based on a real negotiation, right? But as soon as we got to the accusations audience, like you're very leery of us and you've got lots of reason to be leery of us. And you're somewhat insulted by our presence because you've spent the last 10 years making this client happy. Yeah. And it's like, that's exactly it, right? We don't know who you are. And if you screw up, it's going to affect our reputation. How does it make us look? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, once we got addressed those things at a latter point of the conversation, it, fortunately, we were able to recover. That's <laughs> good. When when that emotion comes up for you, Brandon, is there a process that you use to, like, make sure your face is not expressing all those things that are triggering you internally? That is that is a great question. And so I'll start with with what I do uh, and then I'll go into kind of what happens. And, and the first thing I do for to get reps in, get the cycles, mm-hmm. I'll practice in front of the mirror. OK, you know, that, that's the biggest good thing old fashioned. I, yeah, yeah. Good old fashioned. Right? I need to know what I look like when I say this phrase and okay. I'm not going to know until I'm looking in the mirror. Right. Until <laughs> I'm staring back at myself. Right. And so that's the first part. The second thing I'll add is. I'm not always successful. It's, it's <laughs> fair. That's good to know that you aren't either, man. <laughs> it happens, man. You know, I'm human too, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm human too. And I think, you know, the biggest thing I try to stay out in front of is what's the best skill to use here, right? When I feel myself getting triggered, I imagine I don't always keep it tamped down. I imagine it bubbles to the surface sure. sometimes. But mentally, I know I'm feeling the heat inside, right? Mm-hmm. Almost like a... You know, you feel the temperature rising in your sternum, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I know that's coming on. Okay, all right, I'm getting triggered here. First thing I got to do is just slow my cadence down. Okay. Very first thing, just talk slower. Nice. And then the next mental thing is, what is the skill that I need to execute here 
Because the reality is if we're at odds, I haven't done a good job sounding them out. It's mm, a good point. They got negative emotions that I have failed to verbally address. Mm, and so, yeah. all right, what skill do I need to use to get us both past this point? And for me personally, it's labels, right? A skill we call labels. I figure I can label my way out of anything. Depending on who you ask, like if you ask Chris, his go-to is calibrated questions, right? When he's in that same moment. If you talk to one of our other instructors, Derek, he loves to, to do an accusations audit at the drop of a hat. And another instructor, Sandy, she likes to summarize. Okay. None of those are bad answers. A lot of it has to do with your experience level, what skills fit naturally with your personality type. Okay. And then, of course, where you got the reps in. Right. And so for me, labels work really well. And, you know, depending on who you are, I might have a little bit different approach. But the key is, what skill do I execute to verbally address the negatives that are clearly plaguing us all? Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, triggered is a big word in today's world. And, uh, and so for the listeners out there, that makes a lot of sense. If you were triggered, just keep your monotone radio FM voice and talk slower and then that will kind of control like is that right that'll control these emotions from coming out and you you know saying something that you don't you you regret saying well that's that's pretty much it man like it's it's interesting the way that our brains work we can control our own emotional level just by the way that we sound ourselves right and so a lot of it just slowing down the cadence slows my reaction Especially and the other persons too, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. And when, when they hear your tone, you don't sound like a threat. Yeah. You also don't sound like you're trying to fight them. Yeah. And so those are, the, I think those are the two big key things. And there's something else I'll add for our, for our women viewers, right? Because women really struggle with the late night FM DJ voice, especially coming from a man. Uh -huh. right? I don't have a deep voice. How can I sound <laughs> like, right. right. If I, if I don't have a naturally deep voice. And so I want to reiterate the late night FM DJ is much more about cadence than it is about the depth of your voice. Right. And then secondly, you know, for women to be careful of Sandy, one of our other instructors actually pointed this out to me. You don't want to sound sultry, okay. right? For women specifically, there's, there's a, there's a, a possibility of almost coming across as like sexy, because you're slowing down like how you doing sir right yeah, yeah. and you want to avoid that altogether as well and so Lori Grenier on Shark Tank is a great example of a woman that really uses that late night FM DJ voice well but again it's much more about slowing down than it is about getting your voice deeper that's a really good point I'm gonna have to watch some more of Lori on Shark Tank and uh, observe her methods for sure um so we talk a lot, like I study neuroscience a lot, um, mm. and we talk a lot about it um, on this podcast as well. And so when you're slowing your voice down or speeding it up, whether you're triggered or not, you can actually not only control your emotions, but you're controlling the other person's emotions and controlling the neurochemicals that are flowing through their body, right? Mm -hmm. um, a little known hack. So I, I think you guys talk about kind of the neuroscience and how this brain and emotional uh, mind is working. Can you dive into, do, do you know specific, like the neurochemicals that are flowing when you do that or, or what areas of the brain are interacting during an experience like that? 
Yeah, yeah. So there's several things we focus on as far as the functionality of the brain. We really focus on like the amygdala Mm -hmm. and the prefrontal cortex. And then as far as like the chemicals that are being dumped in and and which ones we want to have a direct effect on, it's really like dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. Okay. Those are kind of the three. And those those are the areas we really really play in. And so as far as uh, the areas of the brain, the amygdala is the reptilian brain, right? The caveman brain, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's actually wired to be 75% negative because mm, it's designed to keep us that. alive. Okay, yeah. Right, yeah. like if you, if you if we're a caveman walking around, right, hunting and there's a dark cave and, uh, you know, and Chris goes in there uh-huh. and doesn't come out for a day, my amygdala goes, hey, don't go in that cave. Chris is probably dead. There's saber-toothed tigers around. All right. Right. Now, if I didn't have the amygdala, I might go, well, you know, it's been a day or so. Let me go in there and check on Chris. And now we're both dead. <laughs> right. Right. And so but the amygdala, when it comes to contentious interactions. Will feed the brain the same feeling of you're getting ready to walk into a saber tooth tiger. Right. Yeah. And and human beings. Right. We all carry that with us. And so the first step with dealing with any other human is quieting that negativity. Mm hmm. Because it is dominating the thought process, whether you like it or not, or whether it makes logical sense or not, it's still dominating your thought process. And so how do we how do we actively engage the prefrontal cortex, the decision making part of the brain, things of that nature. And then when it comes to the chemicals, it's one of the reasons why I love labels so much, mm-hmm. because labeling positively, especially shared positives is one of the great ways to activate dopamine in their brain, Mm, raise their level of energy, raise their positivity, because we're sharing these positives together. And I can, I know I can hit that with the label. Right. And then with serotonin, if things are getting out of control, you can send in that, that mood, uh, uh, leveling drug as it were right the serotonin with the the tone of voice that you mentioned, the late night FM DJ voice is one way to reach in and flip that switch. And then in addition, going back to labels, labeling negatives in their head will regulate their mood because it diffuses them. Okay. And now the serotonin, and then we got this mood regulation going on because it's like, okay, this isn't something I actually need to be fearful of. And this is something I don't need to be worried that Brandon or Chris, right, whoever's on the other side doesn't understand from me. And now I'm a little bit more level-headed based on the approach. And then the last one, oxytocin, we refer to that as the bonding drug, right? A lot of people refer to it as that. Like Pedal um, hormone. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly right. And and the, the example we use when a mammal, right, a mother gives birth to their child and they look into each other's eyes, that's bonding, that's oxytocin. Yeah. How do we create that at the negotiation table? Well, for those of you that are familiar with the book, it comes with the that's right moment. When you've created the moment where they look at you and they go, that's right. Mm-hmm. That is, in fact, an indicator that they are being flooded with oxytocin and they feel bonded to you because they feel understood by you. I know uh, sharing food together releases oxytocin. Would it be smart to bring like some donuts or some coffee to the negotiation table? And then you kind of like, well, maybe you'll release some oxytocin by sharing some bites before. Obviously, you have to be in person before you start the negotiation. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like it would work. That's that's a really interesting point. That's, That's not actually something we talk about much, but but exactly to the point you brought up. I think this has a lot to do with why people will negotiate over lunch or dinner. 
Yeah. There's a shared yeah. meal. There's a shared commonality that is unspoken between us. And so I, I think that directly plays in, you know, there's some cultures that actually would be insulted if you don't show up with some sort of a gift. It's true. For yeah. something so intense. And so in that case, probably so if the, yeah. if the culture calls for it. But in general, I think it's going to be based on what you know about that. Right. And if you got a decent relationship and you're coming back to revisit, right, renewing a, a contract with a client you've been working with for five years, if you know they like chocolates or they got a wife that likes something, right, and you want to bring that gift, I don't see how it hurts you, right? Because yeah. exactly to your point, any opportunity to create oxytocin is a good opportunity. <laughs> it's very true. Very true. So would it be safe to say the the amygdala is is the same as the triggered brain the the part of our brain that feels triggered um that uh you know is, is people are talking about all over the place now these days that is just our caveman brain right that is just coming up 75 percent of the time you said it's negative correct yeah it's yeah it's wired naturally to be focused on 75 percent of negative thought right and then and then the prefrontal cortex is managing those emotions, right? It's kind of controlling that activity in the brain because mm -hmm. the prefrontal cortex is the manager of our brain, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. I love that stuff. Um, would you be open to me sharing my negotiation strategy with you and and then you can dissect yeah. it? Yeah, okay. I'd, I'd love to hear it, man. Okay. What do you got? Lay it out. Okay, because I feel like I'm a decent negotiator, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put it across your your table and see how you feel. So sure, yeah, please. You know, I come from the mindset that like, and I think you guys would agree with this after reading the book that you can you can get anything you want um, when you learn how to write uh, ask the right questions uh, from the right people, right? And so uh, going into a negotiation and winning, uh, I want to create win-win situations, not only because that, you know, for me, it works well, but also because, uh, because that's my kind of my life motto. Everything mm -hmm. I do, I want to create win-win situations. It makes me feel good, whether I'm checking out at the grocery stand and saying something nice or just talking and saying hello to the grocer, makes them feel good, makes me feel good, usually does. And, but also, you know, I want to go in with this mindset. I want to work with business partners that create win-win situations that focus on collaboration instead of competition. Right. Um, and I also believe this creates compassion on my part and then compassion kind of in their part as well, because I understand that I have compassion for them. And so I always let the other party go first, which I think you guys recommend as well. I'm shocked at people like how eagerly they want to go first in negotiation so often kind of baffles me because when you let somebody else go first, they put so many cards on the table that you can then play with. So I always do that. But beforehand, I create parameters uh, before I go in and I know my highs, my lows, what I want to come out, you know, the perfect end results, um, but also favoring to the high side. So not submitting to the low side, but favoring to to the more high side and um, slowly going back and forth with offers and counter offers to make sure that I don't go too low. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, there's a point actually when I negotiate that I, I kind of let all the cards out on the table. And often I say to them, Hey, I want to create a win-win situation with you. Like I care about you coming out of this deal happy. I want to come out of this deal happy uh, and content with the deal. And here's what we're looking at. Da, 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 da. And I feel like it kind of helps them open up and release more of the cards 
cards uh, that they have and share with us then. And then there's an overlapping section that we can both be content with, um, you know, finish the deal, sign the contract and leave both content with life. For me, sometimes instead of like competing to get the extra, just say, you know, a few thousand dollars out of the, the deal, I feel much more content when they're happy and they know all my cards and, you know, maybe a few thousand dollars less, but I'm content with it as well. Not necessarily about pleasing people, but about collaborating and not just competing with somebody and, and making somebody feel that they got screwed over in some way or they lost on a deal. So that's how I go. What do you think? What is that? Tear yeah, me apart. I got to okay. say, there's a number of things that you mentioned that I really like. And, and really starting with that last piece about, you know, a few thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there. I really like that because we often, well, I'll start like this. We like to say that the most overlooked aspect of negotiation is the implementation. Right. Okay. And I think that an element of implementation that people discount, we as humans tend to discount is the ripple effects of that big interaction. Mm -hmm. And even if you felt like you won and you beat them down to their socks, right? You can go back like, oh man, we killed them, right? Mm -hmm. We got everything we wanted. We beat them down to their socks. There was no money left. We got everything. That's great for about 24 hours. Right. And three months later, when you can't get them on the phone, they're not delivering on certain tasks and ideas. You know, they're just, they're dropping the ball. The reason they're dropping the ball is because it's like, this is our time to get back at you. Exactly. Yeah. The residual effects of resentment because of your hard-nosed approach can kill your business. Yep. And I won't name names, but I know negotiators out there that have had 10 jobs in 10 years because they get hired to come in and be the attack dog. And that lasts for about 11, 12 months. And yeah. now they've, they've developed their, an industry reputation as an attack dog that you don't want to speak to. Yeah. And now the company they represent can't talk to anybody. So then they fire the guy <laughs> and then he gets hired by somebody else because they feel like they need an attack dog and then they get rid of him in another year. And so that that's really what happens. Like you will eventually stalemate and stalemate harshly if you have that type of beat them down to their socks approach. So I, I really like that thought. This the idea of leaving meat on the bone just enough so they don't feel like they lost. Right will greatly affect how well the relationship functions from that day forward. So I, I really like that piece. Um, and then it just kind of relates to the win-win thing that you mentioned. I think intentionally for you, I like that really well. Mm -hmm. The only thing I will caution you on, and this is something we, we all fall victim to it in, in, in various degrees. When you say out loud that you want to win-win, the unfortunate thing is, you run the risk of sounding like every other snake that they've talked to that said, I want to win. win. Mm, fair point. Okay. And, yeah. and people, actual manipulative people, right. As you know, real, real sharks really like I'm trying to take advantage of you will lean heavily on fairness, mm -hmm. like saying it out loud. I just want what's fair. Okay. I want to make sure we have a win-win here <laughs> Okay. when their intention <laughs> is to, is to actually slaughter them. And so that's not your intention, right? But to your point that you made earlier, right, the emotions that people carry, if we trigger those in a negative way inadvertently, mm. it's not our fault, but it could greatly affect our interaction. Okay. 
but I like the intent. I think the intent behind it is great. But there's there's a lot of parts. Then the, the gross. You mentioned talking to uh, being at the grocer, right? And just mm-hmm. being nice. We got, and you've probably seen this in the book. We got a phrase: never be mean to someone that can hurt you by doing nothing. Oh, touche! I love that. And that and that, that that falls right in line with that idea. So I like that as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well. I think I'm doing all right then. You know? <laughs> um, when you landed a, a, a negotiation table, Brandon, and you let the other people go first, you or attempt to let the other parties go first, what's the first move after they go first? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by giving you the classic negotiator's answer that's also somewhat useless. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. It depends. Right, 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 right. It really does. And so our, our doctrine, our guidelines are that you want to start every negotiation with an accusations audit. However, based on circumstance, that might shift. And to your point about opening the door and the fact that you, your counterpart has things that they want to say and get off their chest and taking into account that many negotiations start with, how are you? Which I hate. I, I won't go into all the detail, but I hate that question. Okay especially at the business table, because they don't actually care how you are. It's just based on social constructs. We start negotiating interactions politely in business by saying, how are you? Even though we don't actually give a damn, right? Excuse my language. It's fine, yeah. However, when they say that, that's an indicator of there is something on their mind they need to get off their mind. And they don't know how to segue to it, right? Which is why often negotiations start with, how are you? And then there's this awkward transition of like, so to business, <laughs> business right? Time, like that right? happens, yeah, right? Yeah, and okay, yeah. now let's talk about why we're actually here, right? <laughs> now we, everybody's wasted 15 minutes and, and the how are you conversation. So great response to how are you, especially when you have that sense of there's clearly things on their mind is simply, it sounds like you got a place you want to start. I love that. And that'll actually be the response to how are you? Don't answer it outright. They say, how are you? And I look at it and go, sounds like you got a place you want to start. As a matter of fact, I do. Beautiful. And then I they go that. into it. Yeah. And, uh, and going back to negotiator types, this is actually a great moment to identify which type you're dealing with. Okay. So when the accommodator says, how are you? This is one, the one and only time that someone will actually care how you are. Mm-hmm. Because accommodators are relationship focused. And so... They say, how are you? You say, it sounds like you got a place you want to start. Their response is most likely going to be, I do, but but how, how, how are you doing? How, how, how are things, right? They want to steer it back to the relationship building aspect, yeah. which is a check off in your mind. Okay, I'm dealing with an accommodator. Okay, gotcha. If you got an assertive, how are you? Sounds like you got a place you want to start. They're going to launch into a dissertation. They got stuff. They're going to go on at length. With an analyst, how are you? Sounds like you got a place you want to start. Well, in fact, I do. And kind of here are the four issues that are top of mind for me. Which, which one should we start with? Okay. Right. And then now the collaborative process is instantly begun because it's like, here's data sets that I need us to look at. Which data set do you want to knock out first? Right. Analysts are very data driven. And so that is actually a, a great accidental moment where you can start to compile. All right. This is an assertive. I got to adjust my approach a little bit because I got to treat the assertive the way that they need to be treated, right? If I treat them like an accommodator, we're not going to get anywhere. And so that it all adds to uh, the structure of how you approach the sequence. 
So when you do, you mentioned an, an accusation audit. Yes. Um, when you sit down at the table also, is that just reviewing what you think the three different types of personalities are and then understanding, okay, this person's this, 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 and this is who we're dealing with? Yeah, great, great question. And so the accusations audit and the audit is probably the, the, the most important piece. And the one A is probably the accusations part. Essentially, what we're trying to do is we want to do a verbal audit of all predictable negatives that are in their head when they came to the tape. Okay. And especially when you're experienced in an industry and you have a lot of similar conversations, it's pretty easy to start picking out what some of those negatives will be. Gotcha. It's, it becomes more difficult when it's the first interaction you're having with somebody. Mm-hmm. However, Negatives that always exist in people's minds is they don't want their time wasted. They don't want to be lied to mm-hmm. and they want to get down to business. And so even if you're dealing with someone for the first time, you can always say, I know you're not here to screw around. The last thing that you need is your time wasted. You want to make a good assessment whether or not it's worth doing business with us. And so and you could, you, could, you, could, you could actually pause it right there. You could go dead silent, which is actually how we, we talk about ending an audit. End it abruptly, end with dead silence, use the silence to put pressure on them to respond. Uh-huh. And so you could end it there. Another thing you could, you could follow up with, you could say, it sounds like you got a place you want to start, right? It, it all, that label also fits at the end of an audit. And so it's not so much assessing what their type is, but it's a very conscious effort to eliminate whatever barriers or hurdles that they might say to not do business with us, we can eliminate those defense mechanisms before the negotiation even starts. Another one that goes in, right? We're talking about fairness earlier. You could say, I know you don't want to have your time wasted and you want to be treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And like, those are negatives that in my head, I'm worried we might might not get treated fairly by them. I'm worried they might waste our time. And you eliminate all that stuff at the beginning and it creates a great segue to understanding without having to have the common ground conversation. I trust you because you know how valuable my time is. So let's get into it, right? And you create that energy and that emotion right away. Sounds like that might be a good thing to say on a first date too. <laughs> works. It works on the opposite sex, right? Women to men and men to women. It works both ways. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a good dating strategy here. Yeah, right. You don't want to go out with some schmuck, right? The last yeah. thing you need is another dope that you got to date and figure out what you're going to do with them, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to make her laugh. <laughs> I would love to hear your dating strategy before you were married, you know, and, and how you hooked your, your now wife. Like, that's great. <laughs> that was that one took a lot of work. I will say that negotiation took a lot of work. But fortunately, <laughs> she still loves me. So we're OK. Well, you know, the bigger the prize, right, takes more work, you know. There you go. That's it, man. That's it. Um, yeah, I love this, man. Um, so why don't we oh, there's so much that I want to dive into. Um, why don't we talk about, because you kind of hit on this on the last, um, on the last bit, um, the black swan Mm. and, uh, I didn't know what the black swan was, but, um, diving into the book, I started to realize, oh, this makes so much sense and how, if we don't know, if we're not prepared to, I don't know if you always expect a black swan, but at least know that they can be in the, Mm. in the presence of the negotiation or any type of interaction that you're doing even, you know, developing a new strategy for yourself or for your business. Um, I think that can play a significant role. 
Um, let's talk about what the black swan is and then how to keep the black swan in our minds when negotiating and when interacting in life um, so we can be prepared for it. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think the first part of the preparation for uncovering black swans is accepting that they exist. Right. You know, in the book, we talk about hope is not a strategy because we go into negotiations. I hope we don't get surprised by something unknown. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that they're collaborative with us. I, I hope they treat us fairly, right? Like all those hopes are in your mind. Right. They actually get in the way of your execution in the moment when you get caught off guard. Okay. And so one way to start mentally preparing, right, which is really the first step, is go in like, we're going to get surprised in this negotiation. Expect to get caught off guard. And then when you hit that moment, it's like, oh, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. This is right. fine. We'll just we'll call an audible. We'll do a label. We'll do a summary. Right. You're very uh, uh, acutely aware and cognitively flexible when it does come up. And, and for the listeners real quick, Brandon, yeah, uh, so we, we, they know what a black swan is. It's, it's, it's the unknowns, right? The unknown yes. unknowns, right? Okay. Yeah. So you've thank got, you for starting there. I, I yeah, missed that point. No worries. No worries. <laughs> so you've got the known knowns, which you were kind of mentioning yep. the, the known unknowns, right? That you may yeah. interact with. Is there an unknown known also, or is there just known unknowns? Good point, right? The known unknown there are, and this, this does factor into the blacks, to the black swans as well. Uh-huh. A lot of times there are pieces of information that exist that the other side might be aware of, but they don't understand the importance of how it factors into what we're doing. Gotcha. Okay. And that becomes this known unknown. They're aware of it, but they're unknown in regards to how does it factor in here? Uh-huh. Okay. And then of course, like you mentioned, the unknown unknowns. And so black swans, right? Those, those small pieces of information. I think the, the way the book, the black swan describes it, that if discovered, will completely change your outcome. Right. And so that's that's where the importance comes from, because we know that the end result is greatly affected by retrieving this information. Right. And in the book, you know, one of the things Chris lays out is expect there to be anywhere from three to five black swans in every negotiation that you have. It's quite a few. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, like, it's more than you would expect. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and then to follow up another piece as, as far as execution and sequencing goes, negotiation is a guided discovery process. And so when you walk out of the negotiation, you should be able to write down a list of things that you learned that you didn't know before you came in the door. Mm. And that's that right that feeds into the black swans as well. And if, if you can't make the list, chances are you got to revisit the conversation. Okay. But back to the black swan piece, uncovering them, people are much more likely to uncover the black swans when they feel bonded to you, right? The oxytocin oxytocin moment, right? So when you, when you flooded them with oxytocin, their ability to trust you with pertinent information is that much easier. Yeah. Right. If there isn't a respect level, a trust level and an understanding level, sharing something I'm playing close to the vest. I, I don't know if I want to do that, but you brought up a great point earlier in that you're always willing to lay all your cards out on the table. Mm-hmm. And I actually love that too. At the right time. At the right time. It depends, yeah. right? Yes. It depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this idea of, of you showing that you're willing to be so open with someone yeah. 
triggers this reciprocity thing, which I think, and I can't, I'm not going to attempt to explain how that factors into oxytocin, but I think there's a reciprocity dynamic that's in there. Right. But then something that you indicated that you didn't say out loud, but I think is great. You're willing to lay all your cards out because at the end of the day, they can't make you say yes. Exactly. Yeah. You can always say, no, I can be, I can be as honest with you and as revealing with you as I possibly can. It doesn't mean I got to say yes at the end of this rainbow. Exactly. And so, yeah, the black swans, the discovery of those during the process and, and how you activate the discovery of those could be any number of options, but finding out is really the point. And if you don't know, you might make a deal that has ripple effects that destroys your business and your relationships later on down the line. Yeah. One thing that I've noticed in negotiating, Brandon, that the more emotionally connected we are to the outcome or getting mm. the deal done, quite often the more vulnerable we become, right? Uh, because we're really hoping, you know, to get this deal go through to look like this, because then it's going to change our lives and life's going to, we're going to have our dream house or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you're re- willing to put more money on the table, right? Or, or, you know, take the, take a higher offer, but just say if you're buying a house because it is a dream home and all of a sudden it's $20,000 more than you expect. And they're saying there's competitors out there, other offers on the table. How, how do we disconnect ourselves from the outcome to be able to really get a desired outcome. Does that make sense? Like it does. Okay. It does. It does make perfect sense. And and so the, the reality of that is, you know, that factors into what we talked about at the beginning. It's it's one of the hardest things about negotiation is being able to and, and it's interesting you bring up the buying a house thing. Mm-hmm. You just defined what residential real estate is like right now, especially like in California. Houses are going for like twice as much as they're worth. People yeah. are buying them without getting an inspection done. And then they move in and they find out the house is falling apart. <laughs> yeah. And it's all, and they paid, they paid like 200% what it was worth. Yep. yep. And it's, and it was all because it was emotional because they're going, oh, I need to get out of the city. I can't live in an apartment with other people, right? Let's move out to the suburbs where we have more air and I need to protect my family from this pandemic. So I'm going to forego the, uh, the inspection, because mm-hmm. I want to win the bidding process. Right. And now you you are in a worse situation than you were when you started because you weren't keeping your emotions in check. Yep. Exactly to your point. And so it really starts with it's mental prep. You know, there, there's there's no way around mentally preparing yourself to have superhuman strength. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or mentally preparing yourself to to completely calm down the situation and use your late night FM DJ voice. It all starts up here. Mm-hmm. And then in the moment, you know, one, one, and this comes from the book too, we like to say he or she who cares least wins. Yeah. Now, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it, right? This, this is kind of one of those moments, like at least pretend like you don't care that much, right? <laughs> at least try to hide it inside. You still want to be collaborative, right? You're not, you're not trying to be disingenuous, but you don't want to tip them off to your desperation because you couldn't contain it inside. And again, it's mental, right? When we're, when we're there mentally, if they say something we love, I'm going to look myself in the mirror and practice keeping a straight face. Yeah. Right. So you don't get over, overdone. And then also when we're focused in on negotiating in their world, or we're focused on negotiating in the, from the counterparts perspective, that's enough of a mental distraction for the working brain that it makes it much easier to put our own emotions aside 
because our entire focus is elsewhere. Right. I'm not worried about my emotions because I know Chris has emotions that he needs to get off his chest first. And so my job is actually to facilitate that. I like that. Yeah. And I can put my own my own BS aside because I'm focused on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, man. Um, what I know of you is you're, you're kind of a natural entrepreneur of the family, right? You started your own yacht cleaning business at 14. Was that right? I did. Yeah. 14 years old. Started washing and waxing boats in D.C. Yeah, man. I had a crew of five. Nice, man. I love talking to to just natural born entrepreneurs. And quite often we start out at such a young age selling golf balls or lemonade or or washing cars, mowing lawns, you know, trying to <laughs> trying yep. to do the hustle, right? That's right. Uh, and then you moved into sales too, which I did as well at a young age. You know, every good entrepreneur has to know sales. Um, and that's negotiation also, right? Sales yep. is negotiating. But you were instrumental at adapting Chris's experience working with the FBI into the business world and um, especially realizing that his experience is in his negotiation tactics are literally if he doesn't get what he wants out of the negotiation, somebody dies, right? Mm -hmm. In the business world, that doesn't happen. You may lose a lot of money, but quite often, most of the time, you don't die as long as you're dealing with ethical people. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> exactly. so, so you created the short game. So what is the short game exactly? Tell us what that is and how it applies to, to negotiating in the business world. Yeah, no, great question. Yeah. So the short game is, is really the, the metaphorically is designed to mimic like short game on a golf course, right? You're chipping okay. a putt. And, um, where that differs, it really highlighted where, where business negotiation and hostage negotiation differ. Hostage negotiators get on the phone, they're on the phone until it's over. Okay. Right? If it takes four hours, it takes 12 hours, doesn't matter. Yeah. In the business world, we have a lot of short interactions with each other. Four or five minutes, oh, quick touch base. Oh, I wanted to give you an update on this, right? That that actually that are that lead up to the big negotiation. And so the short game is designed to, first of all, keep us mentally ready to influence at every opportunity. Okay. Right. No conversation is just a touch base. This is a conversation to influence. And so even though we're going to be on the phone for five minutes, how do we structure ourselves? So we respect the time frame. We're not trying to extend it like in hostage negotiation. They always want to extend the time. Mm -hmm. This is one of those moments we want to be very finite because we want to condition them that we respect their time because right. everybody's busy. Right. And yeah. so what do we do here? How do we execute it? How do we make sure we're planned out? Okay, the first three minutes, we're gonna, we'll have said these three labels. And then when we get to four minutes and 45 seconds, no matter where we are in the conversation, we're gonna start our exit. Okay. And it's gonna begin with, hey, look, I, we know you gotta get back to work. Clearly what we're talking about, it's gonna take a lot more time to finish. We, we'd love to let you get back to your day if that's what you need to do, right? And that opens it up to be like, okay, you know, thank you. Yeah, let's let's touch base later or gives them the option. No, 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 I guess going for another three minutes, let's finish this out. Mm -hmm. And that puts them in the driver's seat, right? The other part of this is they're, they're the problem solver. They feel in control because they're dictating, but you've allocated all of that, Yeah. right? You, you essentially, you made the road and then they just chose which one they wanted to drive on, but you were the one constructing the outcome. Nice, very cool. There's also a, a tactic you guys talk about mirroring. And yes. um, I learned this, um, I don't know, what did I learn it through sales, I guess, that just mirroring somebody's body language can help them feel more comfortable. 
um, help them help control their their amygdala, their their caveman mind, their emotions, <laughs> right? Yep, yep. Um, and kind of make them uh, release some more happy neurochemicals into their body. So, so can you like? When you're, let's talk about doing this over Zoom. Like, how are you mirroring people over Zoom nowadays? Because you're doing a lot of, especially with COVID, you're doing a lot of um, negotiating online, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do we use mirroring over Zoom? And then how do we use it at the in person at the table? Yeah, great question. So the first distinction I'll make is the sales mirroring that I also learned, right? I, I went through a lot of that training too, and that, that was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And then the mirroring when it comes to tactical empathy are slightly different. Okay. And so the mirroring from like sales, right? The mirroring, the body language, I think it factors into like NLP a little bit. The, right. little, the little things that you're doing to make them feel like I'm like you, right? This commonality of we are like-minded, so we should be able to collaborate and mirroring body language. The mirroring we talk about is simply a verbal thing. And it's, it's repeating the last one to three words that they said, that they said, right? Right at the very end with usually an upward inflection okay. to make it sound like a question, right? We want to encourage, please continue. I, I would love for you to tell me more about that. Please uh, go on. And you're indicating that without having to use as many words. Nice. I like that. And so whether you're in person or over the phone or on Zoom, Mirroring is something that you can execute pretty easily. And, and based on our, our skill set, it's probably our easiest skill to execute. So as you're trying to get in reps and, and, and get a feel for this stuff, just getting familiar with, I, I just focused on repeating the last one to three words will help add your comfortability with, with executing this way. With executing this way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good man, there he is. Getting them reps in already. Taking it out, yeah. <laughs> um so okay so then it's just not so in sales then they talk about and in social situations it's the body language mirroring and then also but when negotiating you're just using the verbal mirroring which makes sense okay yeah. you know negotiation and and good communication is without a doubt you know one thing that's essential that we haven't talked about yet is listening right mm -hmm. and most people i think really suck at listening because we're not taught to listen well what are some ways that um you know the people the people out there whether they want to be better negotiators or not what are some ways they can improve their listening skills um because i think listening is probably the, the most important part of communication quite often yeah, I, oh man, that is, that's a wonderful question. And, and uh, I almost wish I had some slides ready to go because this, this one is, is so much here, right? And this is to your point, a lot of us fall short in this area. Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about there's different levels of listening. And the reality is a lot of us are underutilizing our listening by 60% okay. because we're listening just to get the gist. And then we're off in our own head and our own thoughts, or we're listening for a moment when we can add a rebuttal or we're listening just enough to where they might seem satisfied and then we can get to what we really want. And that those are kind of like the first three levels where a lot of us lie. And, and unfortunately, it just right, it doesn't cut the mustard as it were. Mm -hmm. And then the other, the other, I think, common misconception is if people think that they're keeping their mouth shut and their ears open, they're listening 
And that is, unfortunately, that is also not the case because that provides us opportunities to be off in our own head. <laughs> so easy. Right? Yeah, our attention yeah. spans are like 15 seconds, right? There, whatever it is. And I think it's even dwindling from there. And so maybe for the first eight seconds, you were listening. And then at second nine on, you were like, oh, and man, it's a nice day outside. Or yeah, I got to feed. Oh, man, I didn't feed my dog last night or whatever it is, right? Oh, Your mind's man. wandering. And so I hate the term active listening. However, this is why the FBI and certain law enforcement divisions put so much emphasis on active listening, because the active part indicates that you need to you need to have you need to be an active participant in facilitating the things that they should be telling you. Okay, and that's what active listening really is much more about or, or, or tactical empathy or executing negotiation well is how do I communicate with you in a way where your guard is completely dropped and you're willing to, to, to tell me things you wouldn't tell anybody else. Right. And a lot of it has to do with you feel like I'm hearing you. And the only way someone can feel like they're, they're being heard is you got to give them feedback. That sounds like you got a reason for saying that. Well, yeah, I do. Here are the 10 reasons or simple mirror, which indicates I'd love for you to tell me more, right? The, the last three words? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and this is why, right? And the, Or minimal encouragers, the simple like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. Oh, man, I never, oh, that's wild, Yeah. right? Because you're you're indicating that I'm, I am absorbing what you have to say, and I need you to give me more. And that only comes through verbal interaction. And so not a lot, right? Limit, you're, you're talking. One of our clients has a great phrase called weight, and wait, the acronym actually stands for why am I talking? <laughs> I like that. I love it. Yeah, guy, <laughs> yeah. his name is Michael Liptak. He's a great, great friend and, and been following us for a while. But the reality is, is like throw in your little piece that says, I'm with you. I hear you. I'm tracking. Please go on and then wait. Right. And that comes from the small steps. One of the reasons I love labels so much because I can. You can label, once you get really good with labels, you can facilitate them or structure them in a way that hits on both fronts and both fronts being, I'm hearing and I'm listening to you. And then this is something that's important to me. And you can combine it into a label that's maybe six or seven words. And now you haven't soaked up a bunch of time and they feel like, okay, well, let me, let me finish my thought, right? Let me go deeper for you so that I can give you a better picture of, of how our company actually operates internally, like what, what people come together to make decisions. And, 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 and it's almost organic in the way that you approach it because the, the mirroring especially is not so much a direct approach because you're not saying, tell me more about this very specific thing. Right. You're essentially guiding them by creating, you know, you said parameters, right? You're kind of using parameters, verbal parameters to guide their thought process in the direction you want them to go. And so, yeah, listening is a tough thing, man. We, we all could probably work on listening better. I think so. We need classes. Like we should teach kids from, you know, kindergarten on like listening classes this is where you're just going to listen. What they should, yeah, do? they should have listening and finance classes to, for, for our younger generation. Those are two things need to be in school. <laughs> Entrepreneurial too, like small business. I would love yes, that as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the world would change significantly if we had a larger influence on communication uh, skills from a younger age. 
uh, mindset skills and then finance entrepreneurial type of skills as well. Agreed. So every entrepreneur I know and everybody that masters a skill always has a dream Super Bowl type of experience in whatever skill that they have. So what is your Super Bowl negotiation, dream negotiation? Like, what would that look like? Who would you be negotiating with? And, and what is that table? Because we, we have that in our subconscious, in the back of our minds, we've thought about it a million times. Yeah. We don't often share it, but I'm curious, man, like what's the, the Super Bowl negotiation for you? It's funny that you use the metaphor Super Bowl because uh, it, it would be a, it would be football related. I'm, I'm a huge football fan. I uh, played football in, in a previous life and and I follow the NFL pretty closely. I would love to be negotiating a large contract on behalf of, you know, as a sports agent. Right. Yeah. If I was representing an athlete and more specifically Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. More, and it's funny you mentioned that. More specifically, the unknown guys. You know, because oh, yeah. I, I played football with a lot of guys that probably should have went to the league as an undrafted player, you know, or, or a late round, sixth, seventh round guy. But they didn't have good management. They didn't have good representation. They didn't have an agent that was willing to fight for them. Nice. Okay. And NFL teams, the reality is it's always a package deal. And they love to have guys with character. It's just unfortunate. The media focuses on the knuckleheads that, you know, got charges from women or beating up their girlfriend. But the reality is that's like one in 10 guys in the NFL. It's probably less than that. I don't know what the data is, so please don't quote me. But it's, yeah. it's, it's not very many. And so quality individuals that add to your locker room persona and help guys get good reps during the week in practice those are invaluable pieces to an NFL franchise and being able to negotiate on someone's behalf and earn, help earn them a spot on a roster that they might not have gotten otherwise, because they might be going back in groceries or they enter the workforce in some way. And as opposed to following their dream, I, I would love to be able to facilitate that for, for, for athletes that need it. Right. So listeners, if you're in the sports industry or know anybody, Brandon's open. Very so. much agreed. Dude, man, I've loved this interview. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Any final parting words, Brandon? Any tips of advice you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah, the one thing I would say is you got to get repetitions in to improve at anything. And so when it comes to negotiation improvement, small stakes practice is best. And if you can't figure out what's a good small stakes interaction, pick out your most expensive utility and call them up to negotiate a discount. There you go. There you go. I tried to negotiate once at the checkout stand at the grocery store, and they, they weren't having it. <laughs> it doesn't work too well. Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all this these tips on negotiation with us, dude. It's, uh, I love all of this stuff. Um, even learning a little bit of it can change people's lives significantly, dealing with their day-to-day -day life with personal relationships, um, family, children, parents, you know, all of the above, uh, co-workers. So thank you so much, Brandon. If the listeners want to learn more about what you guys have going on, or there's somebody in the sports industry that, that wants to hire you to do a football contract, where's the best place they can find you at? Yeah, so two best things. Uh, website, you know, which is just simply uh, Black Swan LTD Limited, ltd.com, or uh, you can shoot an email to info at blackswanltd.com, right? Just like the website, 
And we got, you know, we got a whole mess of people in the background that are handling our info box. And so those are the two best ways to see what we're doing or to reach out to us directly. Cool. Dude, thanks again so much for coming on the show. I loved every bit of this. I'm going to listen, re-listen to this podcast multiple times so I can up my skills. Um, So thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it, man. Chris, I had a blast. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.